Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody. And again, we, I want to just agree with what Tim had said. We so appreciate the worship team here. Uh, such a rich blessing to us. I do want to also just take a moment to uh, say Merry Christmas for my family. All my family, no, all my family that could be here is here. I have a son in China and a daughter in Germany, but that aside, everybody else is here. So um, we're happy uh, to be here at the chapel today with you. When I was um, <clears throat> about eight years of age, I heard the gospel. My family had gone to a pretty nominal church, and we switched churches, and for the first time in my life, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I heard that I was a sinner, I was on my way to hell, and I could never be redeemed by myself. And I, uh, I thought it was the best news I ever heard, and within about three weeks, I trusted Christ as my Savior after being at that church. And I was convinced I was going to go right back to the public school. And apparently they hadn't heard this message either. <laughs> and and I, remember, I remember going in to, it was either lunch hour, and, and sitting down and saying, hey, you guys are all sinners. You've got to get saved. And I was shocked by the response. I remember people laughing and, saying, you're a jerk, and all kinds of things. And I, I still remember as an eight-year-old boy being, how could that be? How could I just tell you the best news on earth, and you basically just pushed me aside? I, I would argue that it's always been that way. Now, there's always some that believe, though, too, right? I mean, you're here, so. But, but many will reject. Come with me in your Bible, if you would, to Matthew chapter 2. Tim last week um, ended up in Matthew chapter 1 speaking about the fact of the incarnation again, that God is with us. Um, which in the Old Testament, when you used to hear that, what that you, you used to really think what that meant is that God's presence was there to work in your midst, right? It's great stuff. But can you imagine... In the incarnation, God the Son says, I will become a man so that I am both totally human and totally divine at the same time. I will humble myself in that way. Folks, some, uh, Tim prayed about it. There's, just, there's nothing in the world like that. God became a man and Jesus will be that way for all eternity. It will be a constant reminder of his humiliation for our salvation. So you come out of Matthew chapter 1. And in Matthew 1. I, I want, want you to just notice this. If you go back to the ver first verse of Matthew chapter 1. It's, it's, it says the record of the birth of Jesus Christ. And it gives a genealogy. Okay. And then in verse 18 the Bible says. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. And it doesn't actually tell you details about the birth. It just kind of tells you about the things running up to the birth. Right. Meeting with Joseph. And where it ends is. Jesus is born, he's called, G, uh, Joseph calls him Jesus, he then becomes part of Joseph's line, which takes him all the way back to, 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 to David. So what Matthew then does, and we don't think about this sometimes, Matthew then jumps about a year or a year and a half when he picks up in Matthew chapter 2. If you want to find out about the actual details about the birth, you have to go over to Luke chapter 2. You don't find it in Matthew. Matthew leads you up to the birth, 
mentions it briefly, and then jumps a year, year and a half, just like that. What I want you to notice in Matthew chapter 2, So I want you to notice how people respond to Jesus. Because things haven't changed. Look at the setting and the inciting incident here in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. The Bible says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now, there's a bunch of names that are just being thrown out there like Herod the king, Magi. And you're thinking like, okay, whatever. Well, can I try to fill in the whatever for you for just a moment? Herod the king ruled Palestine from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. Okay, and he was called the king of the Jews. And if you track with what we learn about him from some of the ancient historians, one of the things you find out is this guy in 37 BC, and like I said, I won't go, this, I don't want to give you a big history lesson, but just a little one, okay? 37 BC, he was a governor with his brother. And the Roman Empire kind of ends just east of Palestine. And the next empire over is called the Parthian Empire. And what happened is the Parthians came storming into town. Herod barely made it out of the city with his life, ran all the way back to Rome. And when he was in Rome, Rome gave him a great force so he could come back and push the Parthians back into their empire. And they said, and now you can be king of the Jews. And so in 37 BC, he pushes the Parthians out with Rome's support. He becomes king, and he says, I'm king of the Jews. He builds, he does all kinds of marvelous things. But the last section of his life, he went paranoid par excellent. I mean, crazy. So much so that um, Augustus, the Caesar, said of uh, Herod, it'd be better off to be his pig than it would be to be his son. Because toward the end of his life, he is knocking off sons, and anybody that gets in his way... Like this, just kills him. He had a son in prison who thought he had died and said, yeah, my dad's dead. When he heard about it, he said, kill him. He's dead. I mean, just, I mean, this is the way the guy lived. Toward the end of his life, he was holding on to being king of the Jews and he would not let that go to anybody. You know who comes rolling into town right toward the end of his life? Magi from the east, from Parthia. And there's some debate, but probably these magi are what we might call kingmakers. If you're in the kingdom of Parthia, if you're going to become king, you have to have this group of men say, okay, we approve it. And if you don't, you don't get in. It is that group of men who had seen something that looked like a star in Parthia which probably connected them back to some stuff that Daniel had said. And they said, that means there's going to be a king, king of the Jews, and they beelined it all the way to Jerusalem, which would have taken them weeks to get there. Let me tell you something. When the Magi came to town, don't think that there was just three guys that showed up. 
Can you imagine with a king that's lopping off heads and just killing people left and right? If three guys come walking into town and say, so where is he born king of the Jews? To the guy that's holding on to being king of the Jews. Do you see? So, so they, my guess is they came in with a whole bunch of soldiers. And how many were there? Three? I don't know how many there were. Probably more than three. It doesn't matter. Uh, but they came into town. And they came up and they said, where is he born king of the Jews? And it is probably almost an understatement in verse 3 when the Bible says, when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. You better believe it. If Herod is troubled, you're troubled. <laughs> I mean, that's how it works, right? And so these guys come into town and they say, we're looking for the king. And Herod's thinking to himself, I thought that was me. You see? Now Herod was a consummate politician. He was ruthless. You read his story, the guy is ruthless. But he's also a politician. He knows how to say the right things at the right times to the right people. And so what his strategy is, he has a twofold strategy. The first one's kind of indirect. The second one gets very direct when you pick up in verse 13. But in verses 3 to 12, he thinks to himself, how am I going to knock this one off? And so look at his plan. He uses deception. Verse, three, uh, verse 4. First of all, in gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. You know what's fascinating to me? The religious leaders knew right away, didn't they? Look what they say in verse 5. And they said to him, well, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod's smart. He thinks to himself, okay, I got to get all the details I can about this. Calls his men. Where's he going to be born? Bethlehem. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Okay, but I need to find out how old this boy is. Got to get some of this data. So look at what he does here in verse 7. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. Okay. When did you guys first see this thing? Like, how long ago? I mean, he's calculating, and you know, it's all going to come back. This guy's brilliant. It is why we believe that Jesus had to be at least one, years of, one year old at this particular point, at least. Could no, no older than two, somewhere between one and two. So he calls the Magi, gets all those details, and then... The Bible says in verse 8, Matthew says, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. What a liar! <laughs> but, but he's a consummate politician, isn't he? Oh, guys, guys, so when did you see the star? Write this down, okay? Yeah, okay, guys. And oh, yeah, yeah. What I want you to do is I want you to go with all your soldiers because, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to... Hurt your moment. Um, you guys go down and worship him. And then would you come back and talk to me about it? Tell me everything you can. Because I want to go and worship him too. What a liar. What a politician. Verse 9. And having heard the king. They went their way. And lo the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where, where the child was. Now, look, I know there's huge debates over what the star is. At the end of the day, nobody knows for sure. 
My take on it is it's probably the Shekinah glory of God. And I'll tell you why. It just seems straight weird to me that it would then all of a sudden just appear again and right over the house where he's born. I, I'm not, I mean, is it possible for a star to kind of line up? And I, I suppose. Seems like a stretch to me. So I'm not sure exactly. That, that's, I think, is probably the best. But here's the point. Here are these guys going. They've heard the word. It's in Bethlehem because they don't know where he was born. And they start heading to Bethlehem. And once you know a God in his good grace, it appears again. And they say, yes! And they follow it exactly to the home over which, where Jesus is. Great picture. Notice what happens, verse 10. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. God is here. God is directing us. They're so excited. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and they worshiped him. And they opened their treasures. They presented gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, which is why we end up with three wise kings, typically, but um, wise men, but we don't know exactly. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. So Herod, wouldn't you love to know what Herod's thinking this whole time? Man, I bet he's back there saying, did, did they come back yet? No, not yet. You just asked an hour ago. Well, let me know. Are they here yet? No, sire. I mean, I, I don't know what it all looked like. But when they're finished, again, by means of a dream, you see dreams all the way through Matthew 1 and 2, don't you? Through means of a dream, they're said, go back this way. Don't get near Herod. And they go. And so here is Herod in the question in verses 3 to 12. Can he manipulate these guys, deceive them to get to the Christ child? What's the answer? No. So he'll move from an indirect approach to a very direct approach in verse 13. Joseph and Mary don't have a lot of time to enjoy this moment with the wise men, do they? Because the Bible says, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose, took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And he was there until the death of Herod that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled saying, out of Egypt did I call my son. So, Matthew gives this recount, again, I've often wondered with Joseph, every time he gets a dream from an angel, he must be thinking, oh, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, back in chapter one, you know, he gets his dream like, oh, okay, virgin birth, I'm good. And he was good with it. I mean, he just, he just he was good with it, you know. But wouldn't you say it was a little bit life-altering for him? And again, here he is in Matthew chapter two, and finally, they're settled down in Bethlehem, moving along with life as much as you can. And again, he gets his dream. It's like, flee quickly to Egypt. What, that's 250 miles away? There's no planes, trains, or anything like that. So he gets his wife and his young child, and off they go. And Matthew wants you to know something. Matthew says, is the Christ child merely a victim? A madman pushes against him, so they flee. Well, that's true. And, and, and is God on his heels? No. 
See, God even uses the wickedness of man to accomplish and fulfill his purposes, doesn't he? He says, you know that verse back in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1? Yeah, it's true. It's true. God was the one who took the nation, the son, and protected them in Egypt long enough for them to be a nation and then to bring them out. And there was persecution there too, I understand. But that's part of the imagery. God says, Matthew says this, but in a far greater way. The ultimate son will be protected there and brought back. And that's exactly what God does. Herod is a madman. God, he is fully culpable and responsible for everything he does. But what he doesn't realize is he's fulfilling scripture. Now, who can pull that off, brothers and sisters, but God? In a way that what he does is wicked and will be dealt with. But he will never he will never stop the purposes of God, will he? And then we have a terrible account here in verse 16. And I have to tell you, I love the song, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm. I don't know, this scene was everything but calm. At least with Jesus as a young child. Verse 16. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all of its environment, environs from two years old and under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the Magi. Archaeologists suggest to us, based on the size of Bethlehem, that, that probably wasn't more than about 15 children, maybe 20. But if one of those children were your child, was, was your child, it's devastating. But Herod will be king. And nobody will stop him. Or so he thought. And so he sends his soldiers down. The kid was about one, everybody two years in age and younger, just kill him. That's what he does. All right. Verse 17. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Do you remember? In Matthew chapter 1, when Matthew breaks down the genealogy, he breaks it down into three sections. He goes from Abraham to David, from David to the deportation, and from the deportation to Jesus. And it's interesting to me, after Herod comes in and does his wicked act, that Matthew quotes from Jeremiah. And you know what he's telling us? You know the deportation and the Jews finally came back to the land. But have they really come home yet? You know what the answer to that is? No. Because the only way you will ever come home is through Jesus. And so Herod who is ruling is just part of a whole system that is keeping you from being what God has designed you to be. No, no. The hope is the very one he's trying to kill. So the nation still is in exile. 
because Herod is ruling. Verse 19. But when Herod was dead, you know, I have to tell you something when I read that, just real quick, because I know my time's going quickly here. Um, how many of you have done extensive reading in the life of Herod the Great? That's what I thought. If I wouldn't have given you some of that information, you wouldn't have known or cared. How many people have been impacted by Jesus Christ? So this king that's going to hold it all together and be remembered forever, he built all kinds of edifices. He, the only one that outbuilt him was Caesar himself in the first century. Because he would be known, and Matthew just says, he's dead. He's done! But not the Messiah. And when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, and he had been thinking, oh boy, here we go again, right? <laughs> What's going to happen on this one? Okay, I'm listening. And you got to, I mean, the guy is just obedient to the help, but boy, oh boy. Arise, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. He arose, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But it's a big land. So where do you go? Do you go back to Judea? Well, there's a problem. Look at verse 22. When he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Folks, for good reason. Archelaus was more ruthless than his father. When Herod the Great died, they broke up his kingdom and gave it to three different sons. In Judea, they gave to this guy by the name of Archelaus. And he was ruthless. Before he even technically was the ruler of that area, he'd already killed 3,000 Jews. Oh, it was just, he was just ruthless. And finally, he, he only ruled for 10 years. Finally, Caesar had had it and said, get him out of there and put a Roman governor in there and said, we are done with this whole thing. And so, for good reason, Joseph is bringing his family back. And he's thinking, I guess we'll go back to Bethlehem. And, I'm think, and he's thinking like, man, Archelaus is his, his dad on steroids. And notice what happens. And being warned by God, verse 22b, in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee and came and resided in a city called Nazareth that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Pro I'm sorry, through the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. There's not one particular quote that that passage is, is taken from, although some have argued for a passage in Isaiah. I think all he's saying is there's a whole host of Old Testament prophecies when they talk about Jesus. They talk about the fact of commonness. Not wealth and royalty, but just simplicity. And so here is Joseph trying to get back to Israel and he gets back and oh, Archelaus, oh, angel says, well, okay, fine. And he goes back to Nazareth, which isn't the best place to go to. Um, I've used this illustration. I'm hesitant to do it because if, but I'll do it anyway. Please don't take offense. Is anybody in here from West Virginia? Okay, of course you wouldn't admit it now that nobody else is raising their hand. I love West Virginia. My son worked down there for a couple of years. I love the area, all that kind of stuff. But you know, once you say West Virginians have a little bit of a reputation. If I tell you, you know, you know, I'm from West Virginia. Isn't there often an image that conjures up in your mind? 
if you're living in the first century and you said, I'm from Nazareth. <laughs> Nazareth was a podunk town in a podunk region called Galilee. And God says, that's exactly where I wanted my son. Now, would it be a place of ridicule where people would say all kinds of mean things about Christ, like he was illegitimate? Ultra, ultra. But it was still exactly where he would wanted, where God wanted him to go. So here's the point, folks, as I think about this story in Matthew chapter 2. There are some wonderful ex ex examples in Matthew chapter 2 of obedience, aren't there? At great sacrifice, magi spend all kinds of money, all kinds of time traveling just to say, we adore you as king. And then they go home. In a great sacrifice, Joseph and Mary are like ping-ponging all around. God says, go here, go there, go here, go here. They're, just, they're gone. They're just moving all the time. And they simply obey. Great sacrifice. You know the emotional turmoil that must have gone into all that? It's, it's just extreme. So all of that goes on. And here is God bringing his son, who is king, who will live and die and resurrect and ascend. It's going to come back one day. And God is sweeping through history and doing this. And there are some individuals that step in and say, God, I want to be part of that out of my obedience. And God sweeps Magi and God sweeps Joseph and Mary into his plan. And then there are Herods. Did you ever try to stand on the Jersey Shore? When I was a little kid, we was going to the Jersey Shore. And I go, I'm going to stand against this wave. It's not going to move me. I'm like, how stupid was that? And so, you know, I'm standing, my parents are just sitting back and saying, oh, there goes Dougie again, whatever, you know. And, and what, that wave comes up, what's it to do? It just knocks me out. I mean, it, it meant nothing for that wave. I mean, no extra energy. It just kind of rolled in and knocked me over as it went. And you have people like Herod through history that are trying to hold back a wave. And God says, not only am I going to knock you over, I'm going to continue to accomplish my purposes with or without you. I don't know about you, but I like to be with Joseph and the Magi myself. We won't stop the wave. You can ride it, though, out of obedience and love to him. This Christmas, tell everybody you know about Jesus. Amen. But don't be surprised with the mixed response. But just remember, you're just called to be faithful. Father.